Okay, good evening, everybody. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number 12 on Lamar D'Arthur, and it's funny because, of course, in almost any other class we've done in the Mythgard Academy, session 12 would be like, wow, okay, we're really pushing... Um, we're really pushing uh, the limits here. You know, we're getting towards, uh, you know, this is getting to be one of the longest classes we've ever done, I would be saying, by the time we got to session number 12. But um, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm feeling here when we're getting to session 12. Um, yes, the comparison between the length of the Mallory class and the length of any other session, of any other <clears throat> book we've ever done, it's not going to be really a fair comparison. Um yeah, so um, <clears throat> there's no way we get done in fewer than 40, I would say, uh, most likely, honestly, um, at the rate that we're going. It's long. I mean, it's hard because it's just about the longest book we've ever done, and it's in Middle English. So, I mean, a number of words, I think it's it's very much the longest book we've ever done. Um, but, you know, it's okay. No, we're not. We're not halfway. <clears throat> we're not... Uh, we're not halfway. <laughs> we're, we're here. <laughs> this, this, this is the bit we've done <laughs> after tonight. And this is the bit we've not done yet. So yeah, we're, um, um, we're, we're doing, we're doing well. So yeah. Um, and I do want to, as thank you very much for the, uh, uh, the good wishes, uh, of many of you who have been paying, who were there, who were here with me last night too. So, I, uh, I, you know, caught some kind of vile plague from my children uh, that my children brought home from school. Um, so I'm kind of uh, sniffly uh, and uh, leaky uh, and all sorts of unattractive things. Uh, so I may have to may have to pause occasionally tonight uh, to, uh, um, you know, att <laughs> attend to things. So anyway, uh, I, I ask for your forbearance. I'm hoping my voice uh, holds out so far so good. It did last night. So um, anyway, that's, uh, we'll definitely, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it through it. I, I hope we should be okay with my voice, but um, anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be better. I'm absolutely going to be better by the time I get to Kansas City on Friday. So uh, that'll be that'll be good. That'll be completely fine. Um, so anyhow, um, let's. Uh, well, I was going to say let's get moving. Let's do get moving. Um, but um, let's. Um, I was and yeah, actually, I see a couple people uh, uh, chatting on the the Twitch channel. You're right that reading this book all the way through from cover to cover is kind of unusual. I mean, I think more is the pity. I mean, this is a, this is a great book from cover to cover, and in particular, I was going to add um, the schedule for the next bit is up. Uh, the next several bits, actually, I have an ambitious like six more classes, six or seven more classes planned out, and. Um, uh, I've taken us through the next section, uh, which is the uh, the Book of Sir Gareth of Orkney, which is a lovely little story, uh, sort of uh, encapsulated little story. Uh, Sir Gareth is just adorable. Um, so he's uh, he's uh, 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 Sir Gawain's young, youngest brother, um, uh, but anyway, he's he's adorable, and. Um, uh, we, uh, so, so, so there's that, which is self-contained and that should only take, uh, a, a, a few sessions. And then after that, we get to the book of Sir Tristram de Lioness and the book of Sir Tristram de Lioness is 
by far the part of this book that is skipped most. Um, I, you know, if you ever had like any Maori in uh, like a survey class or <clears throat> even a medieval literature class or something like that, very likely what you got was this, uh, the book of Sir Lancelot and Queen, Van and Queen Guinevere and the, the book of the, the Fall of Arthur, the last two books um, in here. Maybe you got the Holy Grail too, um, you know, sort of the last three sections, um, which to be fair is kind of the good bits. Maybe you got some bits at the beginning and some bits at the end, but almost everybody skips the longest section, which is the Sir Tristram de Lyonnais section in the middle, um, which is, I think, a terrible shame because not only not only do you miss the story of Tristram, Tristram and Isolde, which is, you know, kind of uh, big, though Maori certainly isn't like the greatest version of the Tristram and, and Isolde story in the Middle Ages. Uh, and, you know, he's only... He's a little bit half-hearted in the story of Tristram and Isolde because, of, you know, of course, he's... he's you know, focused on Lancelot and Guinevere. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we do get the story of Tristram. However, we get so many cool things uh, that happen. Like, so not only do you miss out on, you know, if you skip that whole section in the middle, not only do you miss out on the entire Tristram and his old story, but you also uh, then miss out on all of the, like, the, the important background stories, um, the real progress of the plot of the Lancelot and Guinevere story. By the time we get to the end, uh, to the book of Lancelot and Guinevere at the end, yeah, that's like the climax of the uh, of the Lancelot and Guinevere story, but it's not uh, you know it's 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 not really the heart of it. M you know, m much of it is already in the past by then. Uh, uh, things are already in motion, um, and we're kind of uh, resuming the story uh, already in progress when we get to that point to really see how the relationship grows from this ideal that we're given here in the book of Sir Lancelot through to the disaster that's going to happen later on. You can't understand that without those parts in the middle, um, which are super important. So, but in addition, besides that as well, if you skip the Tristram de Lyonesse part, you also skip my favorite character in the entire Mort d'Arthur, which is Sir Palamides, uh, the Saracen Knight, um, I love Sir Palamides, and I, I, I have said already, and I, I will say again, uh, that I think a, a standalone feature film on the story of Sir Palamides, it should totally happen. The only reason I think it's not been proposed is that nobody reads that section, so no, nobody knows how awesome the story of uh, uh, Sir Palamides is. Um, anyway, so... It's uh, it's that 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 central section is long and meandering uh, and digressive and contains a lot of tournaments, which seem to be a, just like a lot of repetitive combat and everything. But there's so much beyond that. Um, the way that he moves past simple scorekeeping. Right, you know who's who on horses whom, and who's winning this tournament, and uh, and uh, you know what does this do to their overall rankings and that kind of thing. He goes way past that, and we begin to get some really fascinating psychological depth of his characters, and um, and uh, anyway, it's really really fun. So I I uh, um, 
this is all like my well I don't need a justification because of course the whole premise of Mythgard Academy is we're reading discussing the whole book so it's not like I have to make up an excuse for why we're reading the whole book um, I'm just explaining the benefits that you're getting from reading the whole book and being patient uh, with the slow unfolding um, of uh, of this class so anyway okay so we'll get there. Uh, first, quick, I wanted to remind you, this, of course, is still the second week of our fundraising campaign, um, and uh, we're going to continue to to celebrate not only uh, everybody who uh, donates to help support Signum and to keep things going for another year, uh, but uh, everybody who uh, shows up. We're going to do some, uh, some giveaways again tonight, like we did last week, except... I'm going to do a different thing, just like I did uh, last night, for those of you who were there last night. Um, so, um, uh, so, so, yeah, so, um, last time, you may remember, we did two drawings, one drawing from everybody who was here, and one drawing from everybody who uh, donated during the class, so that those people get, uh, uh, again, to thank you for, for your generosity and your donations, you get two shots uh, at the... Uh, uh, at the the the, uh, the the door prize here, um, so this week we're going to do the same thing, except the prizes are going to be different. You can choose a book like we did last week, so you can you know one of the you can choose one of our one of the five books that we have here that you can get with a custom book plate and everything, just like we offered last week, or you could choose. Uh, two complimentary tickets to the regional moot of your choice, right? So you can, as long as you can get yourself to the moot, uh, then uh, the the rest will be on us. And uh, uh, you can so you can bring yourself and a friend uh, for free to one of our regional moots. We have regional moots proliferating all over the place, uh, and uh, you know that's uh, uh, been a, a really fun thing that's been growing over the last two years now. Uh, so anyway, we're uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm excited about this. So uh, if you win the drawing, you need to send an email to donate at signumu.org, The uh, the 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 email address that's down here in the. Uh, in the little red box down here um, and either tell us what book you want or tell us where you live and we'll try to hook you up with uh, the region, you know, give you some more information about the, the nearest regional moot to you and see if we can see if we can sort that out. Um, so um, anyway, yeah. All right. So um, so that's the that's the that's the story. OK, so I'm going to do the drawing later on towards the end of the class. Right. Um, uh, so we'll 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 come back to that. And many thanks again to everybody who has uh, generously donated. Uh, we've uh, received wonderful support as always uh, from everyone, and uh, really really thankful. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to donate, I sure hope you will. Um, you know, it's the one time a year we ask uh, for your help to continue supporting to enable us to continue to you know, put out all this content for free and to keep it free always, uh, you know, keep our tuition as low as we can possibly make it for our credit bearing courses and everything else free. Um, you know, this is something that, uh, is a major mission of ours, you know, and, uh, you know, we really, uh, Signum University is planning to be a, a real, uh, force for change in education and higher education in America. Um, you know, we think it's time for change. We think that, uh, you know, the 21st century, the paradigm for 21st century education should be very different. Um, and we think, you know, we're, we're, we're working on developing what exactly that can look like and how that can work in much, much more sort of wholesome ways. Uh, I mean, it's certainly all of those of you here in America know that it's kind of, 
it's kind of time to hit the reset button on higher education. And it's one of the things that we're working on. Um, and, you know, you can be a part of that just by making a uh, making a simple donation, a small monthly donation. It's, uh, uh, you know, you can uh, you can really help to make that uh, to make that happen. So, um, yeah. So if you uh, uh, if you donate tonight, I'll, I'll see it. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, call up my list of people who donated tonight. So I'll, I'll see for the sake of the drawing. I'll see that. But don't forget, we're also doing our sort of asynchronous drawing um, over the course of the entire campaign. So if you make a donation, um, please do remember, send an email to donate at signumu.org and just mention the Mythgard Academy, right? Because we're going to have a special drawing for everybody who donated and, and uh, wrote in to mention the Mythgard Academy. We're going to do a special drawing uh, for those people. Um, uh, for, and we're going to give away three Anytime Audit seats to any of our courses in the in the Signum course catalog that you want is full access to all the course materials and also access to our library resources and everything, by the way, uh, that you get with that as well. And that normally that's a tuition uh, fee of $95 for our Anytime Audit Seats, which you get one of those for free. And the grand prize uh, is um, uh, that you would... Um, Oh yeah, the, the the grand prize for the Mythgard Academy drawing is that you get to do a solo nomination of a book. So you get to you get to add a title of your own choosing to the finalist slate uh, for the uh, uh, for the Mythgard the, the next Mythgard Academy election. Um, anyhow, so so uh, so that'll be that'll be fun. Um, anyhow, so. That's uh, so. So don't forget about that. So that means, of course, those of you who are watching or listening to this uh, show after the fact, who are not able to attend live, um, you, you can still do that too. And if you've made a donation, if you have a recurring donation that is still running, that you're uh, that you're continuing through this year, whatever the situation is, just go ahead, send an email, donate at signumu.org, uh, and mention Mythgard Academy, and we will enter you in that uh, drawing, which we will do. Um, which we will do. We'll do the drawing uh, during the webathon uh, on the 13th. And I hope you will be able to join us for uh, summer all of our traditional campaign ending webathon on uh, uh, October 13th. Uh, October 13th is going to be a really fun uh, day. We're going to do a bunch of special sessions and talks and, and uh, all kinds of things like we usually do. So um, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, uh, yeah, yeah, no, if, uh, if you sent the email, uh, uh, mentioning it, we totally got it. It should, it, it should be fine. But I think, um, yeah, yeah, David, I can look into that. No worries. Um, yeah, no worries. Very good. Okay. So that's what's going on. All right. So we'll come back and we'll do a drawing here at the end of class. But now we are going to talk about uh, we are going to talk about Sir Lancelot. So last time you'll remember, we were looking at, um, we were looking at Sir Lancelot as, you know, the way that he is put forward as sort of the paragon of knighthood, right? And in, in particular, uh, we were noting with some interest, at least I was very interested, uh, in the quite unusual stand uh, that moral stand that Sir Lancelot was taking about sexual morality, right? That taking a lover as, you know, uh, t taking a lady to love her paramours, um, is he, not okay. Right. And you're, it's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna mess everything up. You're through your own cursedness. You're going to end up, 
Losing when you should win or worse, winning when you should lose and killing somebody by accident. Bad stuff is going to happen uh, if you do if you don't live a clean life, right? And a clean life means no hanky panky, right? No, none of this. Um, so Lancelot is uh, is uh, I was going to say suggesting. That's not quite the right word. Lancelot is championing, right, a form of morality which is genuinely countercultural. Might not seem countercultural. Like, hey, a Christian knight who says, like, don't have sex before marriage. Like, that doesn't seem uh, totally revolutionary, but it totally was, actually, right? Um, you know, we've already seen how even within this text, the sort of the culture of uh, courtly love is still operable, right? And I keep saying I'm going to not use that phrase, but I can't help it because that's the traditional system that is continually being evoked, right? Like the ladies with their expectations for Sir Lancelot. Everyone's saying not just... Because it's, it's not just, you'll notice, when he's captured by queens and they ask him to choose one of them to take as, as his lover. The point is not, Lancelot, we find you so dreamy and so irresistibly studly that we are desperate for you and so we insist that you t- it's not about that it's not about passion on their part right it's about status it's about the game it's about the system and he's not playing the game and he should play the game it's inappropriate for him not to play the game he is the highest target in the land right and here he is abstaining from the entire game right um and also also there's this implication that you know there's this kind of we see already, and we're going to see more of this as we move forward, the fact that there's going to be assumptions about what's going on with him and Guinevere, right? Based upon the system, right? Well, okay, so Guinevere is his lover, right? So he's taken her uh, as his... So presumably they love each other paramours, right? And we saw the great objection, right? You know, he... he Lancelot objected to that with great prejudice, right? He is willing to fight anyone to the death who suggests that Guinevere is not the truest lady to her lord living, right? She is completely faithful to her husband. Yes, he is devoted to her. Yes, he loves her above all and, and, and like honors and respects her above all other women. But he is not playing the game. That's the thing that he really you know, as we already saw in several of these instances, making really clear. And again, I, I, I you know, it, it, it would be easy, I think, to get the impression that Lancelot is just like, you know, like an irresistible sex object or something. Everybody is like, oh, Lancelot. I mean, every single, la- almost every woman he interacts with is like, and by the way, I'm totally into you, right? Um, but again, it's not about him, really. And it's in a sense, not really about them. Um, it's... Um, it's, it's about, it's about, again, it's about status. It's about the game and he, and, and he is not playing the game. So it's fascinating because what this means is that Mallory is essentially suggesting a very different fundamental definition for what it means to be the exemplar of knighthood. Right. In the past, and as I mentioned before, especially with Sir Lancelot, as I mentioned, Chrétien de Troyes invented Sir Lancelot to be the knight who is the ultimate paragon of courtly love. Right. Let's take the knightly code and the sort of rules of courtly love 
and let's show what that looks like taken to the extreme, right? And that was Lancelot in Chrétien de Troyes' version. Mallory is suggesting something quite different than that, right? Mallory is, instead of saying, so the knight who is the greatest of all knights is the one who is like everybody else except more, right? Who does what everybody else does, but he does it best, right? It almost sounds like that. And in some ways it is like that, certainly in his prowess and his his um, his uh, feats of arms. That's true. But the thing that's really, really um, fascinating is that by in making him the exemplar, he makes him the exemplar in a way that actually makes him different from everybody. He embodies and champions an ideal which nobody else is even shooting for, right? Again, it's not even like everyone else is like, oh, I really wish I could be like Lancelot. They don't even get it, right? I mean, they don't even understand. Nobody understands. All the ladies are like, so I don't get it. Why, why aren't you, what, you know, is there something wrong? Why aren't you taking a lady? And this is, again, it leads to all the rumors and stuff about Guinevere, right? In part, because everyone's like, well, obviously he must be playing the game. So if he's not into us, uh, this can only this can only suggest that you know he's like playing the game on the side and trying to keep it on the down low, right? Um, they can't process the fact um, that it's actual that he what he's doing is actually different. So this is a, a, a in many ways a weird kind of model, right? Lancelot is not just. Uh, the greatest of all knights, he's, well, almost deviant, right? In his virtue, he is setting out to be, actually setting out to be better than is normal, um, to actually challenge the moral code of the entire system, which we see others uphold. Um, so, most of the rest of this story, that you know, the different scenes we're going to look at tonight, almost each one of which is more delightful than the last, is let's put this guy, let's put this paragon of knighthood, let's put this guy who is trying to embody this really high ideal, and let's put him into all these different circumstances. Let's contrive all of these situations uh, and see what happens, right? Um, And two things that I would emphasize there. First, remember we already talked about the kind of simplest ones, right? Where we had Lancelot kind of juxtaposed to the two completely wicked knights, Sir Tarquin, the guy who was uh, uh, very, very powerful, but using his power uh, purely abusively, right? In order to take vengeance and um, inflict uh, uh, dishonorable and unjust punishment upon other people, keeping them prisoner and whipping them with thorns and things like that and treating them uh, uh, despicably. Um, that was, he was very strong. So in some ways he was a direct counterpart to Lancelot because he was like the second strongest knight in the world as far as power in arms was concerned. Only Lancelot could possibly beat him. Um, so in a sense he was Lancelot's opposite number, right? But that was sort of a, in many ways, a kind of a simple contrast, right? Here's strength, uh, without honor and here is strength with honor and virtue. And then similarly, we had, uh, uh, Sir Lancelot and Sir Paris, the conspicuously named Sir Paris, uh, the knight who is all about kidnapping and molesting and raping and stealing from women. 
Um, so you've got this sort of way overly high-handed actions by Sir Tarquin and these completely underhanded, despicable actions uh, by Sir Paris, specifically targeting women. Um, so, uh, you know, I, once again, we see Lancelot as sort of a contrast between these these sort of extremes, right? And that that gets established. But most of the rest of the, you know, all the rest of the stories that we're going to look at tonight are much more well, sort of complex <laughs> and creative, right? Those two are almost allegorical, right? Not quite allegorical, but almost. Uh, they have, uh, they have the feeling of almost like types, right? Like here's here's Lancelot, and you know, versus like one type of the bad, you know, the good knight versus one type of the bad knight, uh, Lancelot versus a, a, a different type of the bad knight, right? Um, uh, and so, in a sense, that's still kind of defining the terms, right? What does good chivalry look like? And we saw the nature of Lancelot's objections to these, especially to Sir Paris, right? Who taught you to be like this? How could you abandon? How can you call yourself a knight and act like this? Um, the second thing I would want to emphasize, though, that I about what I had just said before we go on to this next passage is that uh, I said that this is the story of a guy who is trying to follow these really high ideals. That, I think, is a really important distinction and something that is not necessarily a given. Um, that is to say, are we reading the story of an ideal personified, or are we reading the story of a dude who's attempting to follow the ideal? Either one is totally viable. In fact, if anything, the former would be rather more common, actually, in medieval literature. We kind of dig that kind of thing, right? If Lancelot, if we were meant to read Sir Lancelot as like the personification of knightly virtue, you know, that would be cool. That would be, that would be, I'd, I'd read that, right? Uh, I mean, that's... Um, Medievals liked thinking that way, uh, and they enjoyed abst uh, abstractions like that. And, of course, you can get a lot of the same function out of it, actually. Um, it's one of the things that you see in allegorical dramas, whether they be actual stage dramas, uh, which was quite, quite common in the Middle Ages, or whether they be you know, poetic narratives or something like that. Um, when The whole point of doing an allegorical narrative like that is exactly to, to, to do this kind of thing. So, just, so let's take an ideal and let's examine it. Let's think about it, right? What does, what does this, you know, how does this one concept interact with this other concept? Um, you know, it's, it's abstract thinking, but it's playing it out uh, in, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, running these really interesting kinds of scenarios, um, which helps us to understand the abstract concepts better. We learn a lot. Um, by kind of seeing how they act when we personify them and then get them going, as long as they're acting consistently uh, to their allegorical ideals, then we can learn a lot about those ideals when we see how they interact with other things. So taking, you know, ye old personification of um, knighthood, you know, of like perfect chivalry, and putting that personification in a bunch of different scenarios would be a really interesting way um, uh, and, a, and a very standard way for a medieval writer and a medieval audience to be, like, contemplating chivalry. Like, what does it even mean, right? What is knighthood? Um, what are the virtues of knighthood? How are those virtues challenged? How do those virtues need to be maintained? Um, what is their effect on other things? How are they influenced by other things? What things, um, you know, can challenge? What weaknesses do they have that can be exploited by other things? What uh, strengths do 
they have, and you know, there's all, all kinds of things you can learn uh, from that kind of uh, of an allegorical thought experiment. But that I think is very much not this. Um, this story uh, is, and uh, you know, we don't have. I think perhaps yet I'm kind of just going to have to ask you to take my word for this because we don't have quite enough data to really be able to firmly conclude this yet. But um, my my thesis here is that's not what we're seeing. What we're seeing here is the story of a guy who is attempting to follow these ideal virtues um, because it's not going to pan out uh, all the time and we're going to see him uh, fall short, significantly short at times. Um, and yet... Uh, this is very much not going to be a story that is going to be uh, sort of delighting in his fall or in his shortcomings. Um, uh, anyway, sorry, that last comment, a slightly veiled, uh, uh, very slightly veiled dig at a lot of modern literature that annoys me, um, uh, where so much of the premise seems to be taking that which could be high or great and tearing it down and being glad that it was torn down, uh, triumphing over the failure of ideals. Um, but anyway, sorry, a little, little <laughs> extracurricular commentary there. Anyhow, um, let's, uh, let's look at some of these situations in which poor Lancelot is faced. So this comes right, so he's imprisoned by those four queens, right? One of whom is Morgan Le Fay, one of whom is the queen of North Gallus, North Wales, um, and two other queens, all of whom are sorceresses, all of whom are bad news, uh, who have captured him and are trying to make him, um, uh, trying to make him, uh, uh, choose one of them, right? And he says, no, you be refused of me, right? And then he's kind of sad because he's kind of, now he's in trouble, right? He's not going to get out. They say they're going to kill him and he's like, okay, fine, I'd rather die with honor than uh, live with dishonor. Um, so he's kind of reconciling himself to death, but he'd rather live than die if he could get out of it with his honor. And that's when his, uh, the maid who is uh, assigned to serve him uh, comes to his assistance, right? She is one of the ladies in waiting on one, on the queens. I don't think we're ever told exactly which queen it is uh, that she's meant to be serving. Um, but of course, keep in mind, she, she turns out to be, you know, uh, King Bagdamagus's daughter. And... Um, uh, King Bag, you know, that's not weird. Like, you know, keep in mind, remember, she's serving a queen. So queens have in their retinue ladies who are the daughters of lesser kings or of dukes and lords and things like that. It's, 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 you know, so it's not like she's a servant in like the, the you know, uh, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the upstairs, downstairs sense, right? Um, she's not in service. She is a lady in waiting on one of the queens, and so she is the daughter of a king in her own right. That's totally normal and to be uh, uh, to be expected. Um, yeah, okay. So she uh, she's going to help him out. Sir, said she, that is soth, and for the renown and bounty that they hear of you, they will have your love. She's talking about how intent they are on, uh, in fact, having him and not and killing him if he says no. And sir, they say your name is Sir Launcelot du Lac, the floor of Knictus, and they be passing wroth with you that ye have refused him. But sir, and ye won't promise me 
to help my father on Tuesday next coming, that hath made a tournament betwixt him and the king of North Gallus? For the last Tuesday past my father lost the field through three knictes of, Ar- of Arthur's court. And if ye will be there on Tuesday next coming, and help my father, and to mourn be, be prime by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I shall deliver you clean. Now, fire damsel, said Sir Launcelot, tell me your father's name, and then shall I give you an answer. Sir Knit, she said, my father is Sir Bagdemagus, that was foul rebuked at the last tournament. I know your father well, said Sir Launcelot, for a noble king and a good knight, and by the faith of my body your father shall have my service, and you both at that die. Okay, um, so what do you notice here? What do we notice? So here's, uh, um, in Lancelot's actions, you know, uh, did, first of all, like, he's pre- he pretty much passes all the tests. I was going to say, like, is he passing or failing? He doesn't fail any of these tests, tragically, right? So we, we don't really need to put that one on the table. Some of them he does a little better than others, right? Um, but what do you notice in... Um, uh, what do you notice in... In his response, right? In how he in how he acts here. Yes, yeah, Stephen, that's a really um, uh, that's a real a, a really important thing. He's not going to blindly promise his service without knowing whom he's serving, right? So, on the one hand, he has the wisdom not to make rash promises, right? Which Arthur does not always show that wisdom, right? Uh, the making of rash vows is like a, a King Arthur thing. That's a tradition, actually, in Arthurian literature. So, uh, exactly, Milthalio, he makes no rash promises. So, the caution and wisdom and prudence of that, that's clearly uh, thats clearly a thing, which, by the way, not a given, necessarily, as a knightly virtue, right? To be thoughtful and prudent and wise. Uh, so, there's that. But it, it's more than just it's more than just mere prudence, right? Um, notice that what he's doing by being prudent in this way uh, is that he is preventing himself from being placed in another untenable position. You know, he's just said, I would rather die with honor than, uh, you know, live with dishonor. Um, if he got, you know, the first opportunity he has to escape you know, if he's going to act essentially as a mercenary, um, for, you know, if you save my skin, I will fight for you, and I don't care what the quarrel is, and I don't care whose side I'm fighting for or whom I'm fighting against. Um, you know, you can end up, I don't know, fighting your own brother to the death on an island if you act that way, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing Sir Balin would never have not fallen into this trap, right? Now, of course, it turns out not to be a trap. She's totally above board, and it turns out that her dad, whom she's trying to recruit him to fight on his side, is totally above board, right? Um, Sir Bagdemagus, he's great, and Carita, I also, too, noticed that Bagdemagus is a pretty awesome name. It's one of my favorite names uh, in uh, uh, the whole book, actually. Um, Yeah, yeah, and Bruce, you're absolutely right. Not fighting in a bad cause for love or money was part of their knightly oath, absolutely. They're not to be, to act in a mercenary fashion, right? Um, uh, If you are just fighting for gain, you, you, you can't fight in a bad quarrel, for gain, right? You can't fight on the wrong side. Um, so, um, so yeah, he's making sure that he's going to be true to his oaths. I mean, you could say, well, beggars can't be choosers, right? I mean, what's he going to do? Lancelot is being true to the same 
principles that made him refuse the queens in the first place. Of course, I mean, that was, of course, about his sort of particular hang up about sexual virtue. But um, uh, but it wasn't just that. Remember that they're also sorceresses and traitoresses. They have been the um, not just in the sense that Morgan Le Fay has tried on multiple occasions to kill King Arthur, but uh, that they betray knights all the time. Right. They have caused the death. They've been the causer of the deaths of many knights, Lancelot says, um, through their treachery and sorcery. Um, so even apart from the whole sexual virtue thing, it would be wrong of him to, um, uh, to take one of them, right. To, to, to accept one of them, to bind himself, uh, to one of them. Um, he would rather die than act on their part, right. Than be their champion, which is one of the things that kind of, that's a package deal, right. I mean, if you accept a lady as your beloved, you're her champion, right. That means if somebody else says, of your lady, something like, you know, if somebody comes along and says, your, you know, lady is horrible and treacherous and like unjustly caused the death of many knights. Well, it's kind of your business then to like fight that dude to the death, right? To defend the honor of your lady. Lancelot couldn't do that, right? He, he would know he'd be in the wrong, right? He'd be fighting a wrong quarrel if he did that. So the same kind of prudence that he was applying there, he's applying here, right? Um, I'm not going to fight just anybody for any reason, uh, even for the sake of, uh, um, of saving his skin. Um, (laughs) I like that. Tarlonia was suggesting that Bagdamagus essentially translates to catch the wizard. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, good. Um, but of course, it turns out to be fine. Sir Bagdemagus is great. He knows Sir Bagdemagus. He he likes, he approves of Sir Bagdemagus. He is totally willing to fight on behalf of Sir Bagdemagus against uh, the King of North Wales. Um, now, but notice one other thing here. Uh, the reason uh, Sir Bagdemagus is losing, uh, it lost last Tuesday, right, and is likely to lose again this coming Tuesday, is that there are three knights of Arthur's court who are fighting on the side of the King of North Wales, right? Um, Lancelot does not hesitate. That does not make Lancelot hesitate. She, she, she reveals that, right? She's not, she's not trying to hide that. This is not something that sprung on him later. She is totally upfront about the fact that there are three knights of the round table who are, um, or at least knights of Arthur's court, probably knights of the round table, um, who are on the side of the King of North Wales. So if he fights for her father, he'll be fighting against three of his companions, which is fine. He's fine with that, apparently. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, James was just asking that, that, that same thing. They're fighting against him. Yeah, they were fighting against King Bagdemagus, um, those other three knights. Um, so they're already doing that. I mean, you know, Sir Bagdemagus is a knight of Arthur's court as well. Remember, he got dissed for the round table uh, at the time when they took, uh, you know, Sir, it was really Sir Tor, uh, you know, it was down to Sir Tor, Sir Bagdemagus, and, and he took Sir Tor instead. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so, but despite the fact that he was dissed, he, he, he is still a knight of Arthur's court. Um, so... Uh, he, it's fine, totally fine for, um, different knights of Arthur's courts to be lined up against each other, uh, on different sides in a tournament, right? That's, that's all sort of fair, 
actually. Um, uh, so it, that seems like it's not a big deal. I don't see any reason to think that Lancelot is compromising his uh, principles by doing that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Curita, here's that passage you're looking forward to. So Lancelot is tuckered out, right? He's been tried. He's still traveling by himself, and he finds this perfectly good pavilion, totally unoccupied, right? He's all tuckered out. He needs a nap. So he, so he's gonna lie down, and so he lies down in the bed and goes to sleep, right? Then within an hour, there come that knight that walked the pavilion. He went, he went that his layman had lain in that bed. And so he laid him a dune by Sir Launcelot, and took him in his arms, and began to kiss him. And when Sir Launcelot felt a rough beard kissing him, he stared out of the bed leekly, and the other kneeked after him. <laughs> I bet. And either of him got their sweaters in their hondas, and out at the pavilion door went the kneeked of the pavilion, and Sir Launcelot followed him. And there, by a little slod, Sir Launcelot wounded him, night unto the death. And then he yielded him to Sir Launcelot, and so he granted him, so that he will tell him why he come into the bed. Sir, sighed the knight, the pavilion is mine own, and as this knight I had assigned my laddie to have slept with here, and now I am likely to die of this wound. That me repenteth, said Sir Launcelot, of your hurt, but I was a drad of treason, for I was lot beguiled. And therefore, come on your way into the pavilion, and tack your rest, and as I suppose, I shall staunch your blood. Okay. Um. <laughs> That's awesome analysis, Karina. Karina said this, this passage is like Goldilocks, Bugs Bunny, and Shakespeare, all in one. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. Um... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, this is uh, this is really fun. So, first, first, let's let's uh, uh, let's make sure that there's some vocabulary I want to clarify before we move on. Right. So, ought of course means own. Right. That ought the pavilion. So this is this is the other knight's own pavilion. Right. He he owns it. He set it up himself. Right. Uh, he went that his lemon had lain in that bed. He went, he thought, he, 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 he believed. So, um, to, uh, uh, went is a, is a really important word. It means, uh, like have intellectual belief of, uh, he is strongly under the opinion, um, that, uh, <laughs> that his lemon, his, which means his, his, his lover, um, was, uh, in that bed. Lemon is a, a lovely middle English word. Um, it means, uh, yeah, it means, it means my lover. It's like a term of endearment. Um, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, honey or cupcake or something like that. My lemon, um, uh, lemon. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, leakedly, uh, he stared out of the bed leakedly, stared, uh, is just what it sounds like. Like he jumped up out of the, he started up out of the bed leakedly. Uh, so leakedly means with, uh, with with great dispatch, so you have to imagine Lancelot like leaping in one motion right up out of the bed. Um, he is starting up with uh, uh, great um, um, uh, with great with great abandon. Um, so um, uh, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, was there other things that I wanted to make sure to clarify? Nah, I think that was it. Um, okay. So again, this is, this could have happened to anybody, right? Um, but uh, what do we see? What do we see happening here? Right? What do we like? What's the point? Of this story. I mean, it's funny, right? But what do we what do we see in this in this story? So first of all, yes, uh, Tarlonio, you're absolutely right. Um, this is partaking of the one of the like rules, right? And you can see this in Shakespeare all the time. You can see this in Chaucer all the time. When the lights are out, you can't tell whom you're in bed with, right? Until you make physical contact, and sometimes not even then, right? Um, so yeah, Blue Wizard, the beard is really the only clue. Uh, I mean, you'd think that like the, the, you know, the manly figure of Sir Lancelot, you know, (laughs) I mean, it might make you wonder, uh, what this dude's girlfriend is shaped like if he mistook Sir Lancelot for his girlfriend, but you shouldn't be thinking that way, right? It's dark and there's a person in the bed. That's really, that's it. A darkness covers all. Tarlonio has it exactly correct. Um, uh, you can't, there's no way of telling. Um, so like, for instance, if it's, if it's a, if it's a woman, right? If it had been a woman, I, I mean, he very well could have not found out until afterwards. Uh, that is to say, had there been a strange woman in that bed when like this other knight whom we don't even know the name of yet, uh, when like Mr. Knight who owns the pavilion, um, uh, you know, so when when Sir the Pavilion comes in, if there had been a lady in that bed and he had pounced into that bed uh, and she had been amorously receptive of him, like, and it wasn't his lady, he, there's no way he could have found out until afterwards. Like, absolutely no way. Um, the only reason that this was discovered until things got even more embarrassing was the beard, right? So uh, you can tell the difference between a man and a woman in the dark. That's one of the rules. You can tell the difference by the beard, principally, right? Um, uh, but um, yeah, so so you can you can you can you can sort that out. But you can't tell one woman from another. You can't tell you know a woman can't tell one man from another. Just like if you're wearing armor, it, it you can even have a convert. Nobody can recognize your voice. Nobody can tell that it's not you uh, unless like until you until you take your armor off. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, James, I agree. Um, uh, I agree that uh, Lancelot would probably have jumped out of the bed, beard or not. Um, I agree that Lancelot, uh, had it been a lady, right, uh, who had come in thinking that Lancelot was her knight, um, waiting for her there. Because um, again, apparently he, you know, he had. Uh, uh, wait, oh yeah, that was the other word I wanted to talk about. I missed that. Uh, assigned. I had assigned uh, my lady to have slept with her. That doesn't mean, like, I gave her an assignment. It doesn't have any of the modern implications of assignment. It's like the modern word assignation, right? We made an assignation. Uh, that's what he means, right? I had assigned my lottie. Like, we communicated and we agreed this time, this spot, right? So I had this pavilion pitched special for the occasion, and she was supposed to come to this pavilion uh, at this time on this night. Um, that's what he means by assigned. It wasn't like, you know... 
he gave her homework or something like that. There's none of that kind of implication. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, had the lady come in and pounced on Sir Lancelot, understandably mistaking him for her Lord, because, Hey, it's dark and he's a dude, right? Then, uh, then I, I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, with James uh, Stevens that he would have jumped out of the bed. He probably would have stared leakly out of the bed uh, even then. Presumably there would have been less bloodshed, however, had that occurred. Um, uh, and you'll notice that even with the other knight, uh, he doesn't just like start hacking with his sword or anything like that. Like they, um, <laughs> he leaps out of the bed, the knight leaps out of the bed, and then they both uh, exit the pavilion uh, expeditiously. Right. Um, uh, and the other guy goes out first. So Lancelot is not, he's not exactly uh, uh, picking the fight. He's not, I, I get, he's, he's certainly not just like resorting instantaneously to violence. Um, and certainly he would not have done so. I feel very confident in saying, um, uh, uh, I feel confident in saying that uh, he would not have uh, drawn his sword at all had it been a woman. But I agree, he would have stared up leakly. Notice, that's what he's talking about, right? Why was Lancelot so jumpy? You know, just because he felt some dude come into the bed and kiss him, right? Uh, the reason he was so jumpy, he says, is I was lot beguiled, right? I was a drad of treason, for I was lot beguiled, right? I was afraid that this was some kind of setup. Now, you might ask, as Terlonio asks, why, did, why does Lancelot just go around bedding down in random pavilions which presumably belong to somebody else who maybe, I don't know, had a plan to sleep there himself, right? Possibly uh, even with his lady. So, um, uh, and I, I, you know, um, I'm, uh, uh, um, I have no real answer to that question um, other than there seems to be a bit of a like, I'll just like take the adventure, you know, that has been ordained to me kind of spirit about that. Right. Um, you know, Lancelot doesn't say this, but it's almost like he says, like, I am weary after a long day. He's like, ah, a pavilion. Right. And a bed and no one's in it. Right. I shall take this pavilion laid ready for a sign and go to sleep. Right. That's almost his attitude towards it. Right. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Karina, I agree. This turns out to be the worst date night ever. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's a great subtitle uh, for this uh, uh, for this little <laughs> this little escapade. Um, uh yeah, finders sleepers. <laughs> exactly, Kajmiana. Um But uh, so Karina wants to know, why couldn't they talk it out before stabbing at each other? Um, and that's a really excellent question, actually. Um, why can't we have conversation first and combat second rather than the other way around? Um, and the only thing I can say to that is that we need to put ourselves into the position of both of the combatants, Right. First, you are, sir, the pavilion, right? You have made an assignation with your lady. Uh, not just your lady, your layman, right? Um, so this is an established deal, right? This is your beloved um, that you have made an assignation from. As Karita says, it's date night, right? So it's date night in the pavilion. You've come to the pavilion. 
and there's a random, you think that your lady's in the bed, and it turns out instead of your lady, it's a random dude. Okay? Um, what, what are you thinking? Why are you reaching for your sword <clears throat> and entering into combat first and asking questions and entering into conversations second? She is not with him yet, Devra. No. Um, uh, she's coming along. She'll be there soon, but she is not. They are not together, the, uh, Sir, Sir the Pavilion and his lady. Oh, oh, right. He might be thinking. Oh, right. He, he, he might be thinking that she's with the guy. Right. What, like on the other side or something like that? Yeah. Um, that that she's cheating. Right. Exactly. Yes. As Deborah is suggesting. Sorry, I was being thick there. And as Mike is uh, uh, as as Mike is suggesting as well. Yeah. Uh, he might think that she like there's another man. This is like the the pavilion that he set up for himself and his lamon. And there's another man in the, the, their bed, right? I mean, that looks bad. That looks really bad. What is she? <clears throat> did she come early? I mean, was she like, is she cheating on him this whole time? Is she like, hey, I've got this other, like, you know, uh, super studly night on the side, right? And I know that my lover is setting up this really convenient pavilion. So I'm going to ask my other lover to show up like, you know, an hour and a half early. Uh, and then like, and, and, you know, so then, you know, we can, we can do our thing. And then, uh, you know, I'll come in later on and be like, oh, hi, you know, time for you now. Like, th yeah, it could happen, right? Could happen. Uh, it's, it's possible. Now, Francis asks, does he think that Lancelot killed her or captured her or something like that? David Erbach is wondering uh, the same thing. Did he abduct her or something like that? That seems to me a little bit less likely. Um, I, I Just because she's nowhere in evidence, right? Um, if she'd been abducted, he probably wouldn't have kept her there in the pavilion and Again, if she's not complicit, there would probably be some form of ruckus, right? Um, I, at least that's what we see. I mean, remember remember when the lady gets hauled away, the lady who turns out to be Nimue gets hauled away from King Arthur's court during their wedding feast, and she's screaming and everything the whole time so that when she leaves, Arthur's like, finally, some peace and quiet, right? Um, I mean, that's the standard model, right? I mean, you know, so so... Had he come and he found his lady not there and the whole place in disarray or something, you know, then he might have been like, oh, my goodness, somebody came and uh, kidnapped her. But I think it's um, I, I think it's definitely uh, uh, most likely that he is imagining that this is a rival or this is his uh, this is his 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 lady lady's other man. He feels that he's probably been betrayed. That, I think, must be what Sir the Pavilion uh, is thinking here. Um, uh but one one way or another, this dude is obviously a threat and probably a rival, right? So he's not going to ask, you know, oh, I'm sure there's a perfectly innocent reason why you're lying in my, you know, in my lover's bed, in my pavilion. Um, Sir Lancelot explains he thinks he was late. This could be a trap set for him by the sorceresses. Again, remember what happened to him. He went to sleep under a tree. 
right? He was taking a lovely nap in midday uh, under the hot sun beneath a tree, and he wakes up and he finds himself in a bedroom in a castle, and the four queens show up and are like, you're our prisoner now, you know, you must choose one of us. This is the kind of thing that he, um, that happens, has already happened to Lancelot, right? Um, So when all of a sudden he finds wacky hijinks occurring, right? And like a man trying to kiss him. Uh, no, in fact, succeeding in kissing him, right? In the bed. Like, you know, he's like, okay, like the trap is being sprung. Uh, so he does kind of think he knows what's going on here, right? So, you know, if you want to, um, uh, if you want him to, or rather, if you want to dock Lancelot some points here for jumping to conclusions, Right for leaping into this combat without uh, seeing if, in fact, this is a, a simple misunderstanding, I think that's, I think that's maybe fair, especially under the circumstances where he has kind of put himself into this position. I mean, if he is being, um, uh, if he is being, uh, you know, exploited or trapped or, or, you know, ensorcelled or something, he put himself in that situation. Right. I mean, he's like, oh, look, uh, a tent uh, totally unoccupied uh, with a bed. I think I'm just going to lie down and sleep in it because, like, what's the worst that could happen? Right. I mean, he kind of put himself in that situation. Um, And so his overreaction, it's almost like he's planned for that. Right. Like he goes to sleep, probably half expecting something weird and and treasonous to happen to him in the night. So. You know, when he finds himself being kissed by a strange dude, he's like, okay, wasn't expecting that, but I guess this is it, right? I guess this is the, uh, uh, this is the, uh, the, the unexpected stroke of treachery that, uh, uh, that I was, that I was waiting for. Um, do I think that that's, um, uh, do I think that that's perfect? You know, no, no, I don't think that that's uh, a perfect reaction by Lancelot, but I will say um, once he nearly mortally wounds the knight, and they do talk it out, right, post-grievous wounding, uh, and they begin to have their conversation, and the knight's like, dude, it's my tent! Like, what is wrong with you? Right? Um, you know, I came here for date night, and now, like, I'm likely to die of this wound that you gave me. Lancelot apologizes. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm real sorry about that. I, I me repenteth of your hurt. Um, but I was a drought of trees, and for I was late beguiled. Therefore, come into the pavilion, take your rest, and as I suppose, I, I shall staunch your blood. By the way, I, I think I saw somebody mentioned earlier on um, that um, uh, I suppose I shall staunch your blood. I don't take that as Lancelot being reluctant to, like, I guess I can staunch your blood. Uh, I mean, you know, I can't really be bothered, but um, I, I don't think that's what he says. I think when he's saying, um, yeah, Arthur, no, that, that is a great question. I think when he says, I suppose I shall staunch your blood, um, you should like this, Arthur. I, th- I think he is being modest about his medical skills, right? When he says, I suppose I shall staunch your blood, I believe that that means... I'll try to staunch your blood, but I'm not making any promises that it's going to work, right? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm the greatest knight in the world. You know, I, 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 not a doctor. Um, so, yeah. Now, Carita wants to know if this, if the guy is just being a whiner, or if he's really in danger of dying. 
he um word to the narrator says that he was he wounded him sore nigh unto the death right so he has a pretty serious wound it's apparently not uh not uh not uh 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 like a mortal wound apparently so he's not been stabbed in the heart he's not been you know there's lots of things that haven't happened but as you can see people recover from some pretty grievous wounds right impaled by a spear you'll probably be fine right just find a hermit and he'll fix you up uh you might have to you know lie down for you know a few weeks or something but um, but it'll be fine. He's probably, he's obviously he's bleeding a lot, right? That's what Lancelot is concerned about. I'm going to staunch your blood uh, in order to stop you from dying, right? Uh, presumably if, if the flow of blood from his wound is untended, he probably would bleed out. And both of them uh, uh, know that. Um, yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. So, so he's going to, he's going to, so I, I think he is, he is offering sincerely, and genuinely offering help. He's just being humble about his uh, ability to uh, render that help. Um, so he is very courteous to the knight once the misunderstanding is cleared up, right? Um, you know, could, should he maybe have uh, not allowed this to progress to that extent? Eh, um, you know, maybe, maybe not. But, okay. Um So, um, oh, yeah, I wanted to uh, comment. I didn't do the whole rest of this passage. Um, oh, man, there's so many comments that keep going by, and then I'm remembering them for later. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Karita again. Uh, Karita says she she loves uh, the, the, the knight's lady, who I agree, Karita. Karita also pointed out that the Lamon of Sir the Pavilion, when he shows, when she shows up, um, seems to be the only person, the only female, um, she, the only person with two X chromosomes who's not into Lancelot, right? Instead, she's like, dude, you murderer, you killed my, you know, you killed my, my beloved. Um, and Lance's like, no, no, he'll be fine, right? And, and uh, anyway, so Karita's uh, further comment was, um, uh, you know, he, the knight is like, you know, baby, we're good. It's all good. Don't be upset about this. And she's like, shut up. I'm lever, I'm leveraging a promotion for you, uh, out of this. Um, which of course is exactly what happens, right? Uh, you know, not only does Lancelot help to save his life, it prevents him from bleeding out from the wound that he gave him. Um, so he's going much further than simply accepting his, uh, uh, his surrender, right, which he did do, you know, he showed mercy to uh, a, a defeated opponent, um, but he's he's gone beyond just, you know, not killing him. Uh, he then treats his wound, and what's more, he does offer reparations, essentially, right? You know, the lady's like, hey, put in a good word for us at King Arthur's court, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that, and of course, as we're going to see at the very end, uh, this dude, whose name I still can't remember, um, Sir the Pavilion, is going to be made Sir the Pavilion Knight of the Round Table, uh, at the end of the story. So Lancelot is going to stay true uh, to his word here. So, you know, was he somewhat at fault? Did he not play that whole pavilion thing quite right from the beginning? Yeah, I think that that's possible. But what does he do? He makes it right. He does everything that he can uh, and really goes above and beyond uh, to make it right. Hard to see Sir Gawain doing either one of those things, uh, either staunching the other knight's wounds with his own hands or... Um, uh, then like bringing him into Arthur's court and, uh, vouching for him later on. So, 
Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, Karina. This whole passage is so much fun. Uh, I just uh, there's just there's like almost no stories in this uh, in the you know no segments of the book of Sir Lancelot that I don't just love. Um, okay, so uh, uh, here's the so yeah oh yeah the, the hard days night. So this is so Lancelot. You'll remember this is when Lancelot is already uh, in bed for the night again. Once again, Lancelot being awoken in the middle of the night this time. So he's he's been given a garret. You know he's he's in an upstairs attic room um, of this other uh, <clears throat> this other guy this farmer. And then he he hears out the window, and he sees this one knight being pursued by three other knights. So he sees this act of dishonor, right? Uh, uh, you know, it's three on one. That's not that's not okay, right? And what's more, you know, he the one knight is trying to run away from. He's trying to get away uh, from the unfair odds, <clears throat> and they're pursuing him. This is all kinds of bad, right? So he looks out the window. Truly, sighed Sir Launcelot, yonder own knicked shall I help, for it were sham for me to see three knickedes on own, and if he be their slain, I am partner of his death. And therewith he took his harness, so he does put his armor on first, and went, which is not a given, by the way, he did put his armor on, he does not, Lancelot does not sleep in his armor, um, uh, and there will be occasions on which uh, that will be more of an issue, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting here, in fact, that he takes the time to don his armor before he jumps out the window. And went out at a window by a sheet down to the four knictes. Lancelot actually ties his sheet to the bedpost and lets himself down out the window in full armor, right? Uh, I don't know what the what the thread count was on those sheets, but it had to have been pretty good. And Thon Sir Lancelot said on hiked, Turn you knictes unto me, and leave this fechting with that knicked. And then they three left Sir Kai, and turned unto Sir Launcelot, and asylid him on every hond. Then Sir Kai dressed him to have holpen Sir Launcelot. Nicer, said he, I will none of your help. Therefore, as ye will have my help, let me alone with them, with him. Sir Kai, for the pleasure of that knicked, suffered him for to do his will, and so stood on side. Then anon, within seven strokes, Sir Launcelot had stricken him to the earth, and they all three cried, Sir Knecht, we yield us unto you as a man of meeked Machilus. Okay. Um, Karina, how long does it take to put on his armor? Not, not very long. It's super easy to do, especially by yourself in the dark. Right. Just just trust me. Uh, putting on full plate armor by yourself, uh, you can you can just kind of shrug into it. Um, that's a lie, of course, but it's it's part of the fiction. Roll with it. Just roll with it. Um, here's another thing. Here's another thing. Um, uh, armor <clears throat> is one size fits all. Everybody knows that about plate mail too. Uh, pretty much anybody's armor you can put on, and it'll it'll be fine, right? So, uh, yeah. Okay, just you know, just just clarifying, <laughs> just clarifying the rules, <laughs> right? That's a thing. Uh, you can just kind of you kind of and, and and this is one of the really fun things, right? Because. 
Thomas Mowry was a knight. Sir Thomas Mowry wore plate mail himself. He's under no illusions about this, right? I mean, he is, he know this is, this is his area of professional expertise. Nobody knows better than Sir Thomas Mowry that none of that stuff is true. Um, that you can't just put your own, it's hard to put your own armor on at all, much less fast. You, uh, uh, armor certainly is not one size fits all. Um, and yet he's fine, right? He's fine with that. Like he is not bothered. That kind of verisimilitude is not his interest at all. And I think that, again, it's one of the things that we can conclude here. Um, he knows full well that that's not how things really work, but he obviously doesn't care at all. Um, and so, therefore, he's willing to proceed under these explicitly sort of fictitious uh, frame elements, right? Sort of the, the rules of his little fantasy world here, his little um, chivalric fantasy world. Um, he, he knows them to be different from the real world. But that's fine. He's okay. He's okay with that. He doesn't care. Um, just as... I kind of suspect that, you know, Shakespeare and Chaucer and Sir Thomas Mowry all knew perfectly well that, in fact, it is possible to tell the difference between one woman and another in the dark, right? Uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that they knew that that, in fact, was possible, right? Um, And yet, it's sort of the rules of the, uh, sort of the rules of the frame, Right, it's sort of the 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 the, the ground rules that they are willing to uh, um, to play uh, in that because it's not about realism in that sense. It's not the priority. Again, it's it's not like he's making mistakes. It's not like he's hoping we're not going to notice. Um, you know, again, this these are things that he knows perfectly well, and yet has obviously made the choice to just leave aside, right? It's fine. Totally fine. Because that's not what he's interested in. Um, So this is an an interesting thing to keep in mind, right? Um, Is Sir Thomas Mallory interested in depicting, like, what it's really like to be a knight? No, no. If so, he wouldn't do stuff like this, right? Uh, He wouldn't... uh, he wouldn't have people meeting Saracens with magic bombs that can cure arterial bleeds, you know, in five minutes. I mean, he wouldn't do He knows perfectly well that that doesn't happen, right? Um, he knows perfectly well uh, that knights can't carry on like this. But that's okay. That's not the kind of story. Uh, again, that kind of realism, that kind of gritty... You know, the real knight's perspective on knighthood, that's not what we're getting here. Instead, what we are getting, maybe, is a real knight's um, sort of idealism of knighthood, right? Let's take, it's the concept of knighthood, it seems, that he's much more interested in. um, How knighthood acts, rather than, again, like the day-to-day experience of being a knight. That's boring, after all. Um, So Marilyn is, is a great question, so what is he interested in? In the tale of Sir Lancelot, I think we can see it as clearly as we can see anywhere else. Um, He is really interested in this, I think, in this sort of abstract question that we sort of started with. How does 
the dude who is trying harder than anybody else to attain the perfect knighthood. How does he act? What does that look like? When you put that into different situations, how does it act, right? Um, uh, what is it at different times of day, in different crazy, often difficult circumstances, right? What does it do? What is it? What what would a guy do? And yet again, he doesn't cease to be a guy, as we saw with the with the the last one, right? With the pavilion story, Sir Lancelot's not perfect, right? He's 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 a guy who's trying to do well, and we see him you know, trying to make up for any mistake that he made. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, he, he, he's much more interested in those kinds. So he wants Lancelot to get armed in other moments. As I said, it will be an important part of the story that he is unarmed when he's caught at night. But, uh, in this here, he wants him armed. He wants him fighting against these three other knights. We want to see his reaction. Notice his reaction. Notice the weight of his reaction. This is not just like, hey, somebody's in need. I should go help. He takes this much more seriously than that, right? It were shame for me to see three knights on one. And if he, the one knight, is slain there, I'm partner of his death. I'm like an accomplice to the murderer of that knight if I don't do anything, right? That's how seriously Lancelot takes the... um, uh, the responsibility to help when he sees this kind of an un, an injustice being acted out. Remember Sir Gawain and the uh, and 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 Sir Pelias, right? When he saw Sir Pelias overcome by the ten knights, and then uh, he got, but then he let himself get taken by the ten knights, and they treated him shamefully and tied him under his horse's belly and dragged him off, and. Uh, the lady, the the fifteen year old girl who was his guide, right? The fifteen year old damsel who was Sir Gawain's di- guide was appalled that Gawain would sit back and watch this happen. Now, I was saying at the time that I thought that Sir Gawain's uh, reaction was understandable. You know, he's like, well, clearly that guy is choosing this, right? And what exactly Lancelot would do in that situation, where again it was clear that the knight Sir Pelias in that case was submitting to that indignity, I'm not 100% sure. This is not exactly the same situation, but uh, what I'm remembering there, though, is that the 15-year-old damsel seemed to be responding in very similar terms to this, right? Um, You saw another knight being mistreated, and you just stood there, and you didn't do anything. That's kind of appalling, right? It's like you might as well have dishonored him yourself. Again, I thought that was a little bit unfair at the time, and I still think it's a little bit unfair of the 15-year-old damsel to say that. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, Lancelot is, uh, takes this, is much more proactive. So this is why he's letting himself down uh, from the window by a sheet, right? Because, like, it's, it's his job not only to help, but to take the shortest uh, distance between the two points, right? To go out back and use the stairs, no, 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 that's not good enough. So anyway, um, the other interesting thing here, and I'm not quite sure what to do with it, is when he won't even let Sir Kay help. What do you guys think of that? So now keep in mind, he doesn't know it's Sir Kay yet, right? We're being told that it's Sir Kay, um, which is an interesting element, right? That is, we know that the person who is the 
you know, the, the, the knight who is being treated unjustly, who is being teamed up on by these other three knights, happens to be Sir Kay, central member of Arthur's court, and somebody whom Arthur cares a great deal about, and whom Lancelot would certainly want to protect. Lancelot doesn't know this, right? Because that's not what matters. This is not like, ah, Sir Kay is in need, I shall come to his assistance, even against greater odds. That's not the point. The point is, an injustice is being done. That's three on one, that's not right. If it turned out that those three knights were three knights of Arthur's court, and the one was, you know, like one of the knights of the King of North Wales, or something like that, Lancelot would still have acted the same. Um... The fact that it turns out to have been Sir Kay is, uh, seems to support his overall choices, right? He did the right thing, and his choice to do the right thing was rewarded by circumstances, right? As it turns out that it was Sir Kay that he was rescuing. Um, yeah. But, oh, wait, hang on. One last thing I forgot to say about Sir the Pavilion. Because I didn't, I didn't think of it until I was in the middle of reading the passage. Then we got talking about other things, and I forgot. Um, on the subject of uh, Lancelot being proven right by circumstances, Sir the Pavilion, Sir Owner of the Pavilion, was not following Lancelot's high moral code, right? He had taken a lady paramours. Right? That's why the assignation in the pavilion, right? And as a consequence, what happened? Because of his cursedness, unhap came upon him. Right? He was unhappy uh, by ending up on the wrong end of Lancelot's sword that night and taking a wound that almost killed him. Right? That wouldn't have happened that wouldn't have happened if he had not been messing around with his lady, right? Um, <laughs> Arthur says I would be unhappy too, understandably. Um, yeah, yeah. Tarlonia wonder, wonders where, where Lancelot is when King Pelinor needs a little unhap. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, he wasn't around to be the instrument of unhap to others. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah unlucky. Like, just bad... If you act that way, Lancelot said, right, if you act that way, bad stuff is going to happen to you, right? (coughs) And look what happened. Bad stuff, right? You There you go to your pavilion and the next thing you know, you're kissing a dude and then he's stabbing you, right? I mean, that's... uh, That's... According to Lancelot's principles, it's the kind of thing that happens if you carry on that way. Right? Just wanted to... uh, Just wanted to uh, point that out. Now, but... And notice... Had he had, but there's another end of that too. Had that knight died, right? Had Lancelot in fact killed him, that would have been unhap for Lancelot. Remember, that's one of the other examples that he gives. You might experience unhap in the form of being defeated by somebody, right? Or you might experience unhap in the form of defeating someone that you shouldn't have and killing somebody that you'll regret killing. That will be turn out to be bad. Right. You, this is the kind of unhap that Sir Balin was always experiencing. Right. Um, so uh, either one of those. So notice how the knight of the of the pavilion experiences one form of that unhap. Right. Lancelot avoids the other side. Right. He wounds the knight, but he doesn't kill him. 
And in fact, he's able to save him. And in fact, he's able to get him promoted to the round table. So in fact, all turned out well. Lancelot ended up being an instrument not of unhap uh, in the end, but of good fortune to that knight. So he ended up being a blessing to this knight. Whereas, again, by Lancelot's own argument, if Lancelot were the kind of guy who were who was immoral in these ways, through his own cursedness, he probably would have ended up killing the guy, right? And then the lady's going to show up, and what's she going to do? Stab herself to death, and then he's going to be standing over two corpses, just like Sir Balin did on more than one occasion, right? Um, Lancelot doesn't have that kind of problem. Now, we know Sir Balin didn't exactly have a fornication problem. He had a decapitating ladies problem, which is a different kind of issue. But still, uh, the kind of unhap that we saw, unhap in retrospect, isn't that a really good word for Sir Balin, right? It really kind of, unhap, an accumulation of unhap kind of <laughs> explains a lot about, uh, about Sir Balin uh, in retrospect, I have to say. Um... But um, anyhow, so I just wanted to point that out, the unhappy business about the Knight of the Pavilion. So back to, back to Sir Kay here. So um, uh, why does Lancelot refuse the one knight to help him? He, so he, he's, he, he's not just like, I shall side with the one knight against the three. That's not his goal. His goal is to replace the one knight. I'm going to tap out the knight, right? He's going to, he's going to say, well, I'm just going to tag team with him, right? He's going to tap out. I'm going to, I'm going to come in and I'm going to fight the three all by myself. And when he offers to come in and help them, so it's two against three, still outnumbered. He's like, no, 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 I will none of your help. As ye will have my help, let me alone with him. Why? Why? Yes, Devra, that's my thinking too. He wants to shame them. Um, he sees this as, this, this is a question of shame, right? You know, I said he sees an injustice being done. No, no, that's not the vocabulary of the text. He sees shame being done. These three knights are acting shamefully in teaming up on this third knight in the way that they are. Um it's not quite as bad as Sir Paris, the, you know, the molester of women, but it is <clears throat> in the ballpark. You know, they're, they're acting unlikely. They're acting shamefully. So he comes in and he does seem to want to be the instrument of their shame. Like, like he's going to teach them a lesson. He's going to come in and he's going to learn them, right? And if it's two against three, that doesn't convey the... The, me- the 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 message properly right um it's like he wants them to recapitulate their crime okay three on one you like three on one right okay show me again let's do the three on one thing right i want you to double down on the three on one and then we'll see how that works out for you right um and then i'm going to teach you about never doing that again because of course as we see afterwards um he proceeds to shame them more, right? Notice how they're trying to kind of... They compliment him at the end. And notice he's... Well, I was... This is Lancelot 
Lancelot has several gears, right? <clears throat> Lancelot in low gear uh, is like Lancelot at tournaments, um, and he'll you know kind of play along and not embarrass other people and stuff. And then there's Lancelot in like high gear when he's you know killing people with every blow, like driving his sword all the way down into you know people's sternums and stuff uh, through through the crown of their heads. Um, but then he has this like middle gear. Right, where he is, he means serious business, but he's not trying to kill anybody. Right? So he does have that middle ground. And this is clearly that middle ground. Right? He is not playing with these three knights, and yet you'll notice how none of them ends up dead. Uh, which, presumably, he could have done. Right? So this is not like Lancelot fighting a giant, for instance, where we're, you're fighting a giant, all bets are off. Right? First you cut him off at the knees, and then you chop him down through the head. He's got a technique. Right, uh, that he uses against giants, um, and again, each blow practically is a mortal blow when Lancelot is in that kind of a situation. Here, three knights, one on three. He's not. This this is not a, a. He's ending this combat as quickly as he can, and yet he has no desire to kill these three men. Um, exactly, James. It seven strokes. Right. He uses seven hits uh, with his sword. Um, so apparently one of them he had to hit three times. Uh, <laughs> fully three times uh, before he uh, uh, had stricken him to the earth. Um, but this fight is over very quickly. Um, and they yield to him. We yield us unto you as a man of meeked machilis, matchless might. Right, you have you have no mock, you have no uh, no uh, peer um, in the world for might. But notice in yielding him themselves unto him on those terms, <clears throat> they are essentially saving face, right? Because they are uh, we're yielding ourselves to you because you are so much stronger than, like, we didn't have a chance, right? We now see, in retrospect, we didn't have a chance even three-on-one, right? Um, so since you're obviously the strongest knight in the world, you know, we yield ourselves to you because, hey, everybody loses to the strongest knight in the world, right? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, Lancelot won't have it. Remember what he does with them? Right? Remember what he does with them? He makes them yield to Sir Kay. And they're like, dude, that doesn't even make sense. He didn't beat us. We were totally beating him. Right? We, you are the one who beat us. We yielded to you. And so therefore we should yield ourselves to you. Right? And he's like, nah, you're going to yield to him. And he's doing that in order to shame them. Um, and he's like, if you don't yield to him, I'm killing the three of you right now, right? It is either accept that shame or die because he's teaching them a lesson, right? And, the, and if they won't, if they won't learn that lesson, uh, then he's going to, then he's going to kill them. Uh, they will, they would merit death because there would be completely false knights like Sir Paris. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, um, <clears throat> so... It is because he is obviously very interested in the lesson of shame that he's trying to teach them. That also is how I am 
reading his words to Kay. Um, so when he says, as ye will have my help, let me alone with him. I don't think he's saying, I'm only going to help you if you let me do it all, right? If you, Because it could be, you know, uh, uh, David, you were suggesting this before, David Urbach was saying, it kind of sounds like the first impression is that he's just being a glory hound, right? I insist on having the full uh, the honor of this combat to myself. Um, but I don't think so. I think, uh, um, I think that it's, he's explaining this is what needs to happen. It's like, I don't have time to spell this all out for you, right? Um, just like, trust me, I've got a reason for this. Let me do it this way, right? Um, this is, this is how it needs to happen. And Kay's like, oh, okay. Um, and David, I do agree that it's, uh, it is interesting that, uh, Sir Kay is the knight being saved, since he often uh, treats other people disrespectfully. Um, but we see that Lancelot, uh, you know, is kind of, in that sense, pouring uh, heaps of coals upon his head. Um, sorry, strange biblical image. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, and yes, he does do it anonymously. He doesn't even tell these knights who he was, right? So he's not doing it for personal glory. Um, though in the end, he will get personal glory from it. Um, but let's, uh, after this, so the next morning, <clears throat> he takes off in Kay's armor, right? Kay wakes up uh, for a late breakfast <clears throat> at the farm where they're staying. I, I love it, by the way, when Lancelot goes back into the house and the farmer's like, hey, I thought you were upstairs. And Lancelot was, I was. Jumped out the window. Sorry, you had to be there. Um, anyway, Lancelot wakes up the next morning, <clears throat> puts on Kay's armor and takes off with it. So Kay wakes up and he finds only Sir Lancelot's armor left there. Right? And I love Kay's reaction. Uh, Kay's, Kay's reaction is like, well, so um, I'm sure going to have a quiet ride back. Right? <laughs> no, no one's going to mess with me because uh, they're going to think I'm Sir Lancelot. Um. And he uh, <clears throat> seems to suspect that Sir Lancelot um, is aiming to pick some fights with people at Arthur's court who wouldn't fight with him because he's Sir Lancelot. Not because he's from Arthur's court, because apparently they'll fight with Kay, right? But they'll fight with Kay because they think they can beat him, right? Um, so again, this whole like rivalry within the Knights of Arthur's court, as long as it's all in good fun seems to be fine. Seems to be fine. Okay. And so Sir Launcelot passed by him, so he, in, in Kay's armor, he rides past these other four knights of Arthur's court. Including, <clears throat> this is including, Sir, no, is this the one with the group with Sir Gawain in it? Anyway, I'm not quite sure yet. Okay. And so Sir Launcelot passed by him and spoke no word. But when he was past, the three knictes knew him, and said it was the proud Sir Kai. He wenteth no knicht so good as he, and the contrary is often proved. Be my faith, said one of the knictes, his name was Sir, his name was Sir Gautera. I will ride after him and assay him for all his pride, and ye may behold how that I speed. And so Sir Gauter armed him, and hung his shield upon his shoulder, and mounted upon a great horse, and got his spear in hand, and walloped after Sir Launcelot. By the way, walloped is one of my favorite verbs, and the only time the word wallop is cooler is when it's used as a noun. Uh, like, 
he rode a great wallop. That's even cooler than he walloped after Sir Lancelot. It, of course, means galloped. Uh, but uh, walloped, I mean, come on, how much cooler is that than gallop? Um, so any of you equestrians out there, I recommend that you adopt the word wallop instead of gallop because it's just so much cooler. Um, uh, it is not related to galumph, I don't think, uh, Devra. It manages, it contrives to be even cooler than galumph, uh, which is tough. Okay. Uh, right, get his spear in hand and walloped after Sir Launcelot. And when he come nigh him, he cried, Abide, thou proud knight, Sir Kai, and f- for thou shalt not pass all quit. So Sir Launcelot turned him, and either futured their spears, and come togethers with all their mixes, and Sir Gauter's spear brack. But Sir Launcelot smote him down, horse and man, and when he was at the earth, his brethren sighed, Yonder knight is not Sir Kai, for he is far bigger than he. Notice how Lancelot carries himself on here, right? He doesn't challenge people. He doesn't go up challenging people as Sir Kay. Notice the situation. This is interesting because it's not a situation that he is placed in by our narrator, right? This is a situation that Lancelot himself contrives, by dressing up as Sir Kay, and, but then he rides along, minding his own business. Oh, four knights. Hi there, Hi, Sir Kay. Just riding by, minding my own business, right? And they come up and challenge him. And why do they challenge him? They challenge him because Kay is arrogant, right? Kay is always boastful, even though he can't always back up his own boasting, right? Um, he carries on as if he were the best knight in the world, although the contrary is often proved, as uh, Sir Gauter says, right? So Sir Gauter is intending to bring Sir Kay down a peg or two. And instead, of course, he takes a great fall because it's really Sir Lancelot. So what's the point? Carita, yeah, I, I, Sir Kay is kind of a jerk. Yeah, that's traditional now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, Sir Kay is, he's been kind of a jerk for several hundred years. He wasn't originally. Back in the old Celtic stories of Arthur, uh, like in the Mabinogian stories, Kay is one of the great warriors and heroes. There's nothing, um, unpleasant about Kay, uh, back in those days. But by the time King Arthur goes to France, Kay is a jerk. Throughout Crétin de Troyes, he's, he's, he's a pretty big jerk, for instance. Um... Yeah. Um, so yeah, that they do exactly. Uh, David want to take Sir Kay down a peg or two. Yet they then receive a rebuke for that. Um, one of the lessons that I I kind of have to sort of draw from this. Maybe maybe Kay is arrogant, right? Maybe Kay deserves it. Maybe he does. But. What they're doing and the reason they're doing it, I'm thinking maybe isn't great, right? Um, yeah, being a jerk to another jerk is still unknightly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and by the way, I, I love the word bigger here. Of course, bigger means much more <clears throat> than just like, doesn't just mean like he's bulkier, right? Uh, 
Um, he is far bigger than he means better fighter. Like his, that is a superior knight, right? That is not Sir Kay. Sir Kay would, could never have done that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Josiah says probably Lancelot thinks they should respect the office of Senesco. Maybe, maybe. Um, maybe he's doing it as a favor to King Arthur <clears throat> because he knows that King Arthur loves Sir Kay. Right. Um, and so he, by doing this, is going to make people think twice before coming up and beating on Sir Kay. Um, that might be another possibility. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, then you have the confrontation with Sir Gawain. Sir Gawain is with. <coughs> And I'm pretty sure now this is a different set, right? So he meets two sets of knights when he's dressed up in Kay's armor. The first is this sort of sort of random knights that he meets. But then he meets four major knights of Arthur's court. One of whom, by the way, is his own cousin, um, uh, Sir Bors. Uh, and one of whom is Sir Gawain. And uh, he beats all, th- all four of them. Um, and Sir Gawain last. This confrontation between Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot, this is a big deal, right? I mean, this is like the past meets the future. Um, this is like, who is really the top Arthurian knight for all the marbles, right? Again, Sir Gawain is the traditional Arthurian hero. Everybody, I think everyone who picked up this book would have expected that Sir Gawain is going to be the hero. If there's one thing that Mallory has done, which is weird, uh, you know, which is deviant from tradition, you know, we see him rely on tradition and the stories that people are already going to know. The biggest weird thing that he does is make Gawain a villain. Not a total villain, just a vastly inferior knight. Um, so here we have the old champion against the new champion, right? Um, now see, see I will, said Sir Gawain. I must encounter with that knight. He's got no choice. The other three all went and were defeated, right? He can't hold back or he'll look like a coward. And dressed his shield and got a good spear in his hand and let ren at Sir Launcelot with all his micht, and either knight smote other in middis of the shield. But Sir Gawain's spear brast, and Sir Launcelot charged so sore upon him that his horse reversed up so doon, and much sorrow has Sir Gawain to avoid his horse. And so Sir Launcelot passed on a pass, and smiled and said, God give him joy that this spear mad, for there come never a better in my hand. Then the four connectors went each on to other, and comforted each other, and said, What say ye by this guest? said Sir Gawain, that with own spear hath felled us all four. We command him to the devil, they say all, for he is a man of great meat. Um, now, they don't mean that. <laughs> Literally. Right. Uh, but uh, they're, they're expressing in slightly comical terms their displeasure. Right. We commend him to the devil. Uh, what do you say of this guy? We commend him to the devil. I guess he's they'll, they'll, they'll laugh about it later, right? The four of them will laugh with Lancelot about this later. Um, but um, yeah, he is uh, uh, he is a man of great meat, right? No question. Um, 
the flipping up so doon of uh of Gawain's horse. Like I I've always that seems to me I just I can't resist reading that allegorically, right? Um what Lancelot's example does, right, comes in and to and Gawain, you know, taking Gawain as a uh, you know, the paragon of knighthood and really turning it on its head so that he is underneath his horse and barely able to avoid it, right? Um, it's not just that Lancelot beats him, right? Lancelot beats Gawain emphatically, and, you know, he's turned upside down. And I can't resist the connection that just as uh, just as Mallory has sort of turned Gawain upside down uh, in the story as well. All right, let's keep going. I've got a, few, a couple slides left here. Oh, yes, this is where Lancelot wants to go in there and face the peril. Um, is it the Chapel Perilous? So, okay, so remember the setup for this, right? Lancelot meets a Bratchet, uh, a hound, you'll recall. And the Bratchet, there's blood. There's a trail of blood, like a visible trail of blood. So the Bratchet is following the blood. So Lancelot's, okay, hey, I shall follow the Bratchet, who's following the blood. And so he goes into this castle, and he finds the corpse of a knight. And then a lady bursts in. And she's like, you killed my lover! And he's like, nope, no, he was to- he was totally dead when I got here. Right? Now remember, if this was Sir Balin, that lady would totally have killed herself, and Merlin would have popped up and been like, for that reason, because she killed herself, uh, you know, you're gonna, like, horrible things are gonna happen to you. Um... So, okay, so he's he's there, and the lady says, oh, yeah, so, yeah, she's like, okay, so the knight who killed my lover, right, I'm going to make sure he never recovers from his wound. And the way she says it, it's fairly ominous, right? It's fairly ominous that, uh, um, uh, that, uh, he is going to be, um, uh, that, 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 that he's going to be facing or that she has said she's going to make sure that that other knight doesn't recover. Right. So then he wanders off and he finds the lady of the wounded knight. She's like, sir knight, can you possibly help me? And he's like, well, okay, what do you need? And she says, my lover has been wounded, uh, after he, you know, was in a combat with this other dude. And like his lady is a sorceress and she enchanted him. And now like he can't ever be, uh, uh, be cured of that wound unless somebody goes to the chapel perilous. You have to get the sword of the dead guy and you have to get the uh, a piece of his clothing uh, to come and, and, and use those things to heal my lord. Okay. So he's like, chapel perilous. All right, no problem. Rixo Sir Lancelot departed. And when he come to the chapel perilous, he alicht down and tied his horse unto a little gate, a little gate. And as soon as he was within the churchyard, he saw on the front of the chapel many fire-rich shields turn it up so doon, and many of those shields Sir Launcelot had seen Canictus bear beforehand. With that he saw by him there stand a thritty great Canictus, more by a yard than any man that ever he had seen. And all they grinned and gnasted at Sir Launcelot. And when he saw their countenance, he dread him sore, and so put his shield before him, and took his sword in his hand, ready unto battle. 
and they all were armed, all in black harness, ready with her shield is, and her sword is ready, ready drawn. And as Sir Launcelot would have gone through them, they scattered on every side of him, and gaff him the way. And therewith he waxed bold, and entered into the chapel. And there he saw no licht, but a dim lamp brenning. And then he was war of a corpus, hilled with a cloth of silk. Than Sir Launcelot stooped doon, and cut a piece away of that cloth, and than it farred under him as the groaned had quacked a little. Therewith, therewithal he feared. And then he saw a fair sword lie by the dead knicked, and that he got in his hand, and heed him out of the chapel. Anon as ever he was in the chapel yard, all the knicked spake to him with grimly voices, and said, Knicked, Sir Launcelot, lay that sword from thee, or thou shalt die. Whether that I live or other die, said Sir Launcelot, with no word is great, get ye hit again. Therefore, fix for hit, and ye list. Then, reek so, he passed throughout them. Okay. So, um, uh, Gnasted, come on, that's another pretty awesome verb, right? They grinned and gnasted at Sir Launcelot. Um, so, this is really creepy, isn't it? Um, this is a bit of a foretaste. There's going to be a bunch of stuff like this that happens in uh, the quest for the Holy Grail. This whole thing is set up like a, a test of Sir Lancelot, right? Um, notice what's being tested. What is being tested? What does he prove here? In one sense, uh, in one sense, it's kind of easy, right? I mean, nothing actually happens to him. He walks in, knights jump out, and they gnast at him, and then they leave, they let him come, pass through, right? He passes through, Cuts off a piece of the cloth, picks up the sword. A little bit of an earthquake, a little bit frightening. But then he comes out, the knights come around, they're like, we're going to kill you. But they don't, right? He just walks through them again. Uh, the end. So he didn't actually have to do anything except walk in and walk out. Yes, the knights got nasty, Arthur. They did. Yeah, it's true. Um, what's the test here? What's... He passes a test of what exactly? Of resolution? Okay. Notice, what did it take to win here? Would these 30 knights have not attacked anybody? Right? Are they just window dressing? <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's true. Um, but what we do see is that both ways, right? Both coming in and going out, when he showed his resolution, his willingness to fight the lot of them, Right? They didn't fight him. <clears throat> um, they want him to give up. They want him to yield. They want him to say, it can't be done. They want him to say, there is no way. If I fight 30, you know, one on 30, yeah, I'm kind of all that, but I am not going to be able to kill 30 guys, right? Um, this is probably, you know, is this even worth it to kill 30 guys for the sake of healing this other guy whom I, whose girlfriend I just met, right? I don't even know anything about this dude. Um yeah, it is. Now, I don't think it's a test of piety 
exactly yet. That's not explicit. Um, yes, it's in a chapel, but it's just in a chapel because that's where you'd find a corpse. Um, you know, if you're looking for a corpse and you need to take a piece of his grave clothes and his sword, uh, then then you, you you go into a chapel to find him, right? It's what he does is not especially reverent. In fact, you could argue that it's irreverent. Um, it's not exactly grave robbing, though. Um, <clears throat> not exactly. He's, I mean, he's kind of looting the corpse, but not, that's not his motivation uh, to loot the corpse. He's been told uh, and believes that the only way to heal this knight, the only way to stop... And remember, this knight has been betrayed, right? He has been ensorcelled by a sorceress. Um, he's, his wound has been cursed. So in order to break... The only way to break this curse on the knight is with the piece of cloth and with the sword uh, from the dead guy. Um that being the case, you know, he's not robbing, you know, he's not committing theft, uh, he's not committing sacrilege, but he's not exactly committing an act of reverence either. He's doing a thing for a good cause. He's willing to go into, you know, I mean, it is a sort of an awful sacred space, and there's something going on there. The earthquake is alarming, right? Um, That would be a good excuse to not carry on following through, right? But he does. Um, so, you know, is he willing to persevere despite weirdness, despite creepiness, uh, despite fantastic odds stacked against him? Yes, he's willing to go through with that and to walk that path. And that seems to be the, <clears throat> the test that was being made for him. We will see many of this kind of test in the quest for the Holy Grail. The difference is it's going to mean more. By which I don't mean the stakes will be higher. That's true, too. But what I what I really mean is there will be more meaning attached to it. Each element of the thing will have more meaning. And there will be, uh, uh, Tim, much more at stake when it comes to piety and reverence and things like that um, than was the case here. Here it was just keeping his word to help this stranger. Yeah. Uh, but after he gets out of the perilous chapel, he meets the lady who set up the perilous chapel. (laughs) This is my favorite story. Now, gentle Knit, sighed the damsel, I require thee to kiss me, but honest. This is like Lancelot's average day, right? Nay, said Sir Lancelot, that God me forbade. Well, sir, said she, and thou hadst kissed me, thy life days had be done. And now, alas, she sighed, I have lost all my labor, for I ordained this chapel for thy sack and for Sir Gawain. And honest, I had him within me, and at that time he fought with this knight that lieth dead in yonder chapel, Sir Gilbert the Bastard, and at that time he smote the left hand of Sir Gilbert. And, Sir Launcelot, now I tell thee, I have loved thee this seven year, but there may no woman have thy love but Queen Guinevere, and sithen I might not rejoice thee, neither thy body on live. I had kept no more joy in this world but to have thy body dead. Then would I have bowed it, and seared it, and so have kept it my live days, and dily I should have clipped thee and kissed thee, despite of Queen Guinevere. Ye say well, <laughs> say Sir Lancelot. 
I love that response. Like, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say to somebody who just said that? <laughs> oh, man. That is just, i sorry. I just, I, I never cannot laugh when I read that. You say well. <laughs> Jesus, preserve me from your subtle craftis. Yes. Afterwards. Oh, whew, really dodged a bullet there. Okay. <laughs> James Stevens argues that her crafts don't seem so subtle. Well, uh, they are. She is using great subtlety. Um, uh, <laughs> oh man, oh, oh boy, I will never forget how long I laughed about this passage when I first read it in college. I was like, I was like reading it and I'm like, okay, I have to have read that wrong. And I can't, I can't say what I thought that said. No. No, she's gonna embalm his body and keep it as a toy. And all her life days, she will daily uh, uh, have clipped and kissed, have hugged and kissed his embalmed corpse and, and been like, so there, Queen Guinevere, I've got him and you don't. Clip it just means hugged. Have clippity. So uh, she was, she's, she, the picture she's painting is like every day she was going to snuggle down with the embalmed corpse of Sir Lancelot and like hold it in her arms and kiss him. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what she means. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if the kiss itself was going to be fatal if she had woven some spell such that if he did kiss her, he would drop dead. Uh, that, 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 that the kiss would actually have been the mortal stroke. Right. Um, I think so. That's, I, you know, had, had his, and thou had his kiss at me, thy life days had to be done. Um, uh, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> It doesn't, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. Um, notice how this, <laughs> this passage serves as an extreme example of Lancelot's, of the rightness of Lancelot's virtue in action, right? I mean, come on, let's face it. Um, if this had been another night, right? And she'd done, she delivered that line. I require thee to kiss me but once. That's all. Just, I only need one kiss from you. Come on. Like King Pelinor is going to say no to that, right? No way, man. King Pelinor would be like, oh, well, my damsel, if uh, I just, you know, if you need a kiss, you need a kiss, right? You know, how can I pass that up? Exactly, Mike. Um, but Sir, uh, Sir Lancelot, right? No way. Sir Lancelot is like, no, I don't play that way, right? Absolutely not. God forbid I should kiss you. I mean, what other knight in the world would be like, God forbid I kiss you, right? I kiss a damsel uh, just because she asks me to. But of course, had it been any other knight, 
he would have been dead and embalmed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> satisfying her necrophiliac pleasure for the rest of his, well, her life. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Dolorous Stroke, I agree. Um, even as it affirms Lancelot's virtue, uh, she, uh, Halouis, the lady, uh, is criticizing him for loving Guinevere. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, again, this is like, because you won't play along. Right. These are the lengths that I have been pushed to because since you refuse to play the game. Right. No woman can have your love but Queen Guinevere. Everybody knows Queen Guinevere's off limits. Right. You loser. Right. So come on. You're the greatest knight in the world. You won't play the game. I, you know, wanted to have you for myself. And now obviously I can't have you because you're Mr. I won't play the game. Um, and uh, you only love Queen Guinevere. So I've got no choice but to kill you, embalm you, and, you know, uh, snuggle on a daily basis with your embalmed corpse. Clearly, that's the only option that remains to her. But you're right, Dolly. She does put this back on... She does put this back on uh, on him, essentially, right? Uh, and on Guinevere, it's, it's sort of indirectly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, Mike, I agree. She does seem to have been planning this for some time. Absolutely. Um, cre- creepily so. Uh, I mean, yikes. Um, Karina's wondering if his, uh, his virtue might be part of the draw for this super creepy lady. Maybe in a sense, I mean, in a sense that, uh, you know, he's his, his, vir- like, I mean, his virtue the fact that he is not just slightly better than everybody else, that he is in a completely unique category of knighthood, right? Makes him, you know, it's not just like, I love you, you know, 15% more, you know, than I would love King Pelinor or whatever. Um, it is interesting that she would have accepted Sir Gawain. And I don't know how Sir Gawain got out of this. Cause he would totally have kissed her. She must not have prepared the whole, um, you know, the Egyptian special for Sir Gawain. That's all I can think of. Um, and in case you're thinking that he's being crude and explicit in saying, and honest, I had him within me. That means within my grasp. I am quite sure is what she means by that. Um, I had him within my grasp. And at that time he fought with it. So Sir Gawain came for Sir Gawain fought with Sir Gilbert, the bastard and smote the left hand of Sir Gilbert. And then she doesn't say anything else about what happened. Right. But she says she ordained the chapel for either him or Gawain. So it sounds like she's willing to accept Sir Gawain as a, as a backup, right? Like he's the, you know, Sir Lancelot's plan A, but Sir Gawain would be like plan B, I guess. But but it's unclear what happened. Did he just smite Sir Gilbert's left hand and then void? Um, and never got a chance to, like, give her a kiss or get embalmed or anything else? Um, I'm not really 100% sure about what happened. Because it's a little hard for me to imagine Sir Gawain not succumbing to the whole I require thee to kiss me but honest line. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh... Uh, it's all good fun. All right. It's getting late. We started a little bit late, but one more. 
the lady, hawking. Her hawk gets caught in a tree by its jesses, and there's the poor hawk, tangled up and dangling by its jesses from the branch, and he's looking up, and he's like, oh man, poor hawk, right? Ah, Launcelot, Launcelot, as thou art flower of all knictis, help me to get my hawk, for and my hawk be lost, my lord will destroy me, for I kept the hawk, and she slipped from me, and if my lord, my husband, weet it, he is so hasty that he will slay me. What is your lord is nam? sighed Sir Launcelot. Sir, she said, her name is Sir Philot. His name, sorry, his name is Sir Philot, a knict uh, that longeth unto the, unto, the, unto the king of North Gallus. Well, fire laddie, sin that ye canoe my nam and require me of knichthood to help, I will so what I may to get your hawk. And yet God canoeth, I am an evil climber, and the tree is passing high, and few bowers to help me withal. And therewith Sir Launcelot alaked, and tied his horse to the same tree, and prided the laddie to unarm him. See, now he needs help. And so, when he was unarmed, he put off all his clothes under his shirt and his breech. And with meek and great force, he clomb up to the falcon, and tied the lunas to a great rotten bush, and threw the hawk down with the bush. This is, of course, great problem-solving by Lancelot, right? How do you hand somebody her hawk? You know, it's like, okay, I've untied the hawk. Now what do you do with it, right? What, let it go? Chuck it down? You... No, so he's clever, right? He breaks off a dead branch, and he ties the hawk to the dead branch, and he chucks the branch with hawk down to the lady. <laughs> problem solved. I, I love that little, uh, that, that, uh, that little detail. And anon. The laddie got the hawk in her in her hand, and therewithal come out Sir Philot, out of the grievous, suddenly, that was her husband, all armed, and with his knocked sword in his hand, and sighed, Ah, knicked, Sir Launcelot, now I have found thee as I wold, he standing at the bowl of the tree to slay him. Ah, laddie, sighed Sir Launcelot, why have ye betrayed me? Okay, so, um... Yeah, Karina, that sounds exactly like the ch kind of challenge you would run into, it, especially in like an old text-based uh, video game adventure, right? You know, like you are in a tree, you have a hawk, uh, you know, uh, what do you do? Um, yeah, I totally, that, it, it, absolutely, absolutely. So yes, Karina, you're right. Lancelot is not good at tree climbing. Tree climbing, not among his many skills and talents, right? But, of course, because he has much might and great force, he's able to manage it. His little speech is, uh, is oh no, Karina, he's not totally naked. Um, <laughs> he's, he's not totally naked. Uh, he's wearing his shirt and his breeches. So basically, he's, he's, in his, he's, in his, he's in his undergarments, right? He's wearing his, uh, he's wearing his small clothes here. Um, uh, so he's 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 stripped down to his skivvies, but 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 no further than that. Um, so yeah, he's, he, he's so he climbs the tree. Um, but I love that. I'm an evil climber, right? I'm not good at this. And the tree is passing high, and a few bowers to help me with all. <laughs> it just it's so cute, right? But you know, he's Sir Lancelot, and notice 
Sin ye canoe my nam, and require me of knichthood to help, I will so as I may. Right? I, I'm bound to do what help I may to help you, a, a damsel who has requested this help, um, by my name and invoking me by my name and by my knighthood. Right? I can't. There's no way I can get out of this. Right? Even though I'm a bad climber and this is uh, super awkward, but I'm going to do what I can. So he does what he can. And, um, yeah, it is a little bit puddle glummish, Josiah. I agree. But of course it all turns out to be a trap, right? Um, he, uh, he, <clears throat> it's, this is a setup by Sir Felot who is just trying to kill him. Right. So now Lancelot is trapped up a tree with no weapons and no armor. And here's the fully armed knight with his knocked sword at the bottom of the tree waiting. All right. Come on down, Sir Lancelot. Right. And I'm going to kill you while you're naked and, and unarmed. Um, that obviously horribly dishonorable. What the lady did, you know, his use of his wife <clears throat> is totally dishonorable as well. Right. To uh, to put another knight at disadvantage by manipulating his oath of knighthood, right? I mean, that's super, super low. Um, you remember how Lancelot gets out of this one, right? Okay, so what do you do? What do you do in this circumstance? Well, you break a bow off the tree, right? There are a few bows to help him with all, but nevertheless, he, he gets one of them, Right. Uh, he, oh, the hawk just got stuck up there. But I mean, I don't know how they <clears throat> contrived to get the hawk to do it, right? To like, it's, I, I doubt the hawk was complicit in this, in the scheme, right? But uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, so he tears off a branch and Veronica, exactly as you point out, he, uh, and as Tarlonio was suggesting too, he um, um, will hereafter be known as, uh, as, well, not Lancelot Oaken Shield. He'll be Lancelot Oaken Sword, I guess, or Oaken Club or something. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so he takes his bow and he jumps. I love his initial move, right? He jumps down on the other side of his... Fortunately, his horse is still there, right? His faithful steed is still at the bottom of the tree. So he's able to climb out about, jump down to put his ho put the horse between him and the knight who's waiting for him, and then manage to contrive to club the knight and, uh, you know, so that he's not He's not, uh, basically he's trying to prevent the knight with the sword from getting an attack of opportunity is essentially what's happening here in Dungeons and Dragons terms. Right. Uh, but he, so he managed to get on the other side of his horse, kills the knight, right. Offs him. This is Lance. again no, with one shot, right. Lancelot again, he's not pulling his punch here because this is a knight. This knight has, he deserves to die, not just to be killed, not to be shamed. Um, this is an act of treason and treachery. This knight has earned capital punishment, and he uh, um, he 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 deals it out right and defends it afterwards. The lady's like, "You killed my husband," and he's like, "Darn right, I killed your husband!" Right? Uh, that was a, her a horrible thing that he did. I was defending my own life, and anyway, he totally deserved it. Um, but he doesn't punish her, right? He doesn't do anything bad uh, to her. <laughs> Josiah said Lancelot missed the class on burning pine cones. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I think, Karina, I think he jumped next to his horse. He jumped, because it said that he jumped on the other side of his horse. So he was using his horse essentially as an obstacle, right? So again, so that the, the guy wouldn't, you know, as he's jumping down, wouldn't be able to, he, so he wouldn't be jumping down like onto the upheld sword of the knight below him, right? You know, how do you, how do you handle that? Um, and Veronica, yeah, he does seem to give the lady not exactly a pass. I mean, he chides her, right, um, for acting treacherously to him, but he does, he does give her a pass. He doesn't kill her or punish her in any other way, um, because it, she, I mean, what could she do? Right. Her husband, uh, her husband commanded her to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, last one. Nah, we have time for one more. <laughs> oh, man. This is when Lancelot interrupts somebody trying to decapitate his wife. Right. And she's like, help, my husband's trying to kill me. And he's like, what are you doing? Stop it. So he makes Sir Pedivere stop murdering his wife. What hast thou to do betwixt me and my wife? I will slay her mugger thine head. <clears throat> that shall ye not, said Sir Launcelot. For rather, for rather, rather we will have ado togethers. Sir Launcelot, said the Knecht, thou dost not thy part. For this laddie hath betrayed me. Notice the situation Lancelot's being put in here. Hey, Mr. Defender of Sexual Purity, right? I caught her committing adultery. She's guilty, right? I I can kill her. Like, that. that's okay, isn't it, right? She. Why are you taking her part? She's in the wrong, Lancelot. Especially by your own moral code, right? It is not so, sighed the laddie. Truly, he saith wrong on me. And for because I love and cherish my cousin Germain, he is jealous betwixt me and him. And as I mut answer to God, there was never seen betwixt us none such thing as. But, sir, said the laddie, as thou art called the worshipfullest knecht of the world, I require thee of true knechthood, keep me and save me, for whatsoever he say, he will slay me, for he is without mercy. Have ye no doubt, it shall not lie in his power. Notice Lancelot does not pause here, right? She's like, he's lying on me. He's jealous of her and her cousin. Apparently she and her cousin are close, right? She's like, there's nothing inappropriate going on between me and my first cousin, uh, cousin German, right? Um, but, you know, my husband is uh, is jealous betwixt me and him. He is jealous of me, his wife. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> um, and don't trust him, because he's going to kill me no matter what no matter what you try to do. Um. Lancelot does not rise. You know, Sir 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 Pedivere, the guy here, says, "Like it's 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 my right, it's my right to kill her." And he insists on a fair hearing of her side, and he takes her side immediately. Have ye no doubt? It shall not lie in his power. There's no question for Lancelot here. Right? He's not like, well, if you are guilty, how can I be sure to believe you? No. It's, you've got a guy who's trying to swap the head off of a lady. He's not going to take the part um, 
of that night. And so Sir Launcelot rode on the one side, and she on the other side, and he had not ridden but a while. But the Kniecht bade Sir Launcelot turn him and look behind him, and said, Sir, yonder come men of arms after us riding. And so Sir Launcelot turned him, and thought no treason. And therewith was the Kniecht and the laddie on one side, and suddenly he swapped off the laddie's head. And once Sir Launcelot had espied him in what he had done, he sighed and so called him, Traitor, thou hast shamed me forever. And suddenly Sir Launcelot leaked off his horse and pulled out his sword to slay him. And therewith he, that is the other knight, not Launcelot, fell to the earth and gripped Sir Launcelot by the thighs and cried, Mercy. Oh, man. What a muddle. Um... Oh, man, Lancelot fell for the hey, look behind you trick, right? Um, So, Jennifer, I don't think he plans to ride around between the two of them forever. Um, But he he's on his way. This is he's on his way back to the court. This is near the end of the the, near the end of the of the of the book. So he's almost back to Arthur. So he's he's clearly planning to, like, bring her to Arthur's court and seek, you know, sanctuary for her there at Arthur's court. But he's going to make darn sure that he rides between them the whole way, right? But he fights the classic blunder, right? He falls for the whole look behind you trick. And uh, <laughs> Curita says, Lancelot's like my dog uh, when I fake throw a ball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. David Arbach is wondering if this suggests that Lancelot is in fact a touch too naive. Um, yeah, I mean, David, in a sense, what... Sir Pedivere manages to create here is a kind of a fake conflict of duties. On the one hand, Lancelot has agreed to keep himself between this lady and her husband, right, and to prevent him from decapitating her. Um, but of course, it's also his duty to make sure that men of arms don't ride up and r- run off with her, right? Um, so if they're under attack by multiple men of arms, you know, by, you know if, if, there, if there are multiple... Uh, you know, knights or whatever coming up and attacking them. It's his job, right, to put himself between them and her. So there is a perceived, well, like a phantom um, division of duties, right, for Lancelot here. Um, Ptolemy says he couldn't just look over his shoulder. Well, here, uh, no, he can't. Um, I've only been in plate mail once, but no, I'm pretty sure he couldn't just look over his shoulder. He's in armor, right? If you want to look behind you, you've pretty much got to turn your horse. You know, there's no, what, you know, uh, if you're, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, in order to turn around and look behind him, he's got to turn his whole horse around. And when he turns his horse around now, he's not between them anymore. Right. Uh, and so the other night immediately decapitates, um, uh, decapitates his uh, wife, but then immediately begs for mercy. And once again, putting Lancelot in a difficult situation. Um, but notice the temptation here. Right. The big temptation. His f- he has failed to protect the lady. He said he would protect her, that it will not lie in that knight's power, in her husband's power to kill her, and he did, right? And he says, you have shamed me forever. I have failed in what I said I would do. But that's not the real test, 
right? I mean, that's bad, and it's, that's unfortunate. But the real test is how are you going to respond to that Lancelot, right? Are you going to kill him? He's there begging for mercy. He doesn't want to fight you. He knows you're going to kick his butt, right? That's why he didn't challenge you to a fight the first time, right, when uh, you were keeping him from decapitating his wife in the first place. So are you going to kill him because you're mad? Are you going to take vengeance on him because he shamed you? Are you going to try to uh, avenge your own shame on him, which would be wrong, right? Um, are you going to try the whole two rights, two wrongs making a right thing, right? That is a, clearly a severe temptation um, for Lancelot here. He is upset. He is exasperated, and the guy deserves it. He not only has shamed Lancelot, he just murdered his wife in, like, okay, not in front of Lancelot, behind Lancelot's back, like, right there. He just killed her. He's guilty, right? And 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 he's acted traitorously to Lancelot as well. So, I mean, by an act of... Of 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 low cunning and 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 deceit to Lancelot, he contrived to commit murder right there. Um, and he's responsible for Lancelot's shame. This guy has it coming, but he's asking for mercy. He's asking for mercy. Are you going to make an exception, right? Are you going to kill this guy who seems to really deserve killing? Um, even though it would be wrong. Because he's asking mercy. If you're Lancelot, no, not even under such extreme circumstances, right? So the whole lack of vigilance, his naivete, that's not great. Do I think his performance here was flawless? I think that he would be the last person to call his performance in this particular test flawless. But, exactly, Stephen, many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life, right? Absolutely. Um, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to this guy? Do you remember the, uh, um, do you remember the result here? Uh, and no, David, Sir Pedivere and Sir Bedivere are not the same. Uh, uh, almost, right? But they're, they're, they're not the same guys. Sir Bedivere was from the older generation of knights like Sir Brastius and Sir Ulfius. He was back there with Arthur at the very beginning um, in the in first battles after the pulling the sword out of the stone. Uh, Sir Pedivere is different. Yeah, he becomes, a, he becomes a hermit. He becomes a holy man. He repents, in short, and dedicates the rest of his life to fasting and prayer and penance, right? Um, he does have to drag his dead wife all around Europe. It is absolutely true. Uh, and then until they mercifully bury his wife in Rome, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and, and this is the penance signed to him by the court of ladies, right? Um, when he brings... Uh, when Lancelot brings him before the... Uh, you know, Guinevere is appalled and uh, makes him bear the corpse of his wife all the way to Rome, uh, asking for forgiveness of the Pope, who assigns him penance. But um, uh, anyway, um, he, he ends up repenting and becoming a holy man, right? It can happen. Sir Pedivere, he's not good, right? I mean, this is a bad man, but he's not bad like Sir Tarquin. He's not bad like Sir Paris. And... He makes a good end. That happens. 
That can happen. Well, that can happen if you don't decapitate the dude in the heat of the moment, right? So again, Lancelot passes the test, and again, good comes of it. Not just for him, but for others, right? Lancelot, Guinevere dresses him down a little bit for allowing the lady to get killed. But at the end of the day, he didn't do the really wrong thing. He succeeded in the real test. All right. Um, thus ends the tale of Sir Lancelot. I wanted to make sure we got through the whole thing. Sorry for keeping you a little bit late, but let's do our drawing. I, I want to do our drawing before we leave. Um, so let me just see here quick. couple things. I'm going to check and see how many people we have on Twitch here tonight and how many we have in the uh, in the net moot as well. And I'm going to... First, let's do a drawing among our donors for the evening. Oh, that is just lovely. Thank you for that. I see a couple, um, uh, a couple new monthly donations. That is especially wonderful. And uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for your generous donations. Let me see. I will. Okay. And the winner of our donor drawing is Takako Tasai. Thank you for your gifts. Uh, and uh, you are the... No, we don't need to transfer over to Twitch. I'll, I'll, I'll do it all. I'll do it all in one shot. Um, congratulations, Takako. Thank you <clears throat> for your attendance and, uh, and your donations. Uh, you win. So send an email to donate at signumu.org. I'm afraid we don't yet have a regional moot very close to you, Takako. Uh, Takako lives in Japan. Uh, maybe someday. Maybe we'll get to Nippon moot someday, uh, Takako. But I don't know if it's going to happen very soon. Um, but um, but anyway, send send an email to donate at signumu.org and we'll get you we'll get you set up uh, with a prize anyway. Okay, so now let me do the the larger drawing of everybody else. Okay, so looking again at the Twitch numbers, got it, okay. So that's... Okay. And so our winner, oh, our winner is somebody on Twitch. Oh, our winner is Boomful. Boomful, you are the winner. <clears throat> All right, very good, Boomful. So, uh, again, send an email to uh, uh, to donate at signumu.org, and um, uh, and and we'll we'll get either a pair of tickets to a regional moot near you. Um, I'm not quite sure where you are, Boomful. So wherever you are, we'll see when and where we have a regional moot near you. We can offer you some tickets to that, or uh, or a book should you choose. Um, so. Uh, yeah, awesome. Um, okay, so thanks everybody for joining me here tonight. Um, oh yeah, and uh, thanks, Sharon. I will do that. And just to remind you, these are the book choices: five books. My uh, my Hobbit book, the uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone, Unfinished Tales, Sauron Defeated, our next book after Mallory, or Dune by Frank Herbert. Uh, and these, of course, will all come with the customized book plate that I have made up. Uh, for these books for your commemorative edition. Thanks, everybody, for joining me tonight. Don't forget, if you've donated either now or at other time or a time in the future soon, to, still to come, uh, don't forget to 
Send an email to donate at signumu.org and mention the Mythgard Academy, and we will enter you into our big Mythgard Academy drawing for any time audit classes and special privileges and all kinds of cool things during the webathon. So thanks, everybody. Uh, and I will see you guys next week, and hopefully some of you at Middlemood in Kansas City this weekend. Thanks, everybody. Good night. <laughs>